As Caleb mentioned this morning, our sermons are connected relative to the parable of the soils. And we're not preaching the same sermon today, but same text, or at least uh, the same teaching of Jesus, but from two different perspectives, or at looking at two different aspects, uh, depending upon where we are at or which role we are playing in that particular parable. I'm going to use Matthew's account of the parable, Matthew chapter 13 tonight, so I would invite you to turn there and we'll, we'll use that as our primary text tonight. My sermon is entitled, Four Strategies for Successfully Sowing the Seed. Four Strategies for Successfully Sowing the Seed. And you might be able to tell from that that we are putting emphasis to some degree on the sower. Uh, Not to take away anything from what Caleb said this morning, the emphasis certainly is the seed, and I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But let's read the parable, and then we'll, just for time's sake, we'll skip ahead to the parable being explained by Jesus uh, in the latter part of chapter 13. So chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. Uh, So that he got in the boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where where they did not have much earth, and then immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they were they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now jump forward to verse 18 in the chapter. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, notice that, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, He indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. So let's think about this parable for just a moment. Some of this Caleb uh, stated this morning uh, very clearly. But let's be reminded that the different soils represent different conditions of the heart. 
Jesus uses something earthly to which people could relate in a parable to teach a spiritual application or implication. There's something spiritually that he wants them to know, but he's going to use something that they can relate to in order to teach them that that great truth. In other words, he's illustrating this principle in a very practical way. The seed in the parable, of course, is the Word of God. That in which God has vested power to save people's souls. Luke 8, 11 says the seed is the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it's a discerner. Think about that. The Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's exactly what the Word of God does in the parable as Jesus depicts it. And Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel is God's power to save. So this seed that God is broadcasting and planting through preaching represents His power. It is His power to save people. And it's going to fall in different soils or different kinds of hearts. And as the parable teaches us, there are going to be different responses, at least to that initial contact. And the condition of the soil, when it contacts the seed, is critical, very critical. And so also is that true with respect to the word reaching our heart. It is critical, or at least the condition of the heart is critical when the word reaches it. And you can see that play out in everyday life where people, the condition of their heart one day might be completely different than it is another day, depending upon the circumstances that have unfolded in their life. And so again, let me reiterate the condition of the soil on contact. With the seed is critical, and the condition of the heart when it is contacted by the word is critical. Now here's where we mess up, brothers and sisters. We make a mistake when we assume that the current condition is the permanent condition. The condition in which a heart is presently, we often assume that that's the perpetual state of that soil or that heart. And we make a lot of assumptions as Christians and as personal evangelists that perhaps we shouldn't make because we might miss an opportunity relative to teaching someone the gospel. And so what I want to do tonight is to take these four soil conditions and challenge us and encourage us to recycle them through our mind for just a moment and think about some strategies that we could employ to maybe make a difference 
where it, at least on the surface, seems like no difference can be made. And so here's the first one. Sometimes we need to work the wayside soil. Sometimes we need to work the wayside soil. Look at verses 3 and 4. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Bird, you can just, I, I think probably you can just see the birds. When they see the, that seed hit that ground, they just flock to it and take it up before it ever has any opportunity to do anything productive. And verse 19 says, tells us what that means spiritually. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, you see that? He doesn't understand it. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. And so the, the nature of sowing is broadcasting. The, the idea in the word is, is indiscriminate broadcasting. The, the sower of the seed has an idea of where he wants to sow it, but it's going to hit other ground, and he's not going to go and pick it up. And, you know, I've been putting weed and feed on my yard, and if, you, if you've driven by there lately, you probably thought you're going to need more than weed and feed for that yard. But when that uh, device that I use to distribute those granules goes to work, it puts it where it's supposed to go, but it puts it everywhere else too. It's on the sidewalk, in the flower beds. It's, it gets in places where it wasn't intended. And that's the idea in this broadcasting. I've explained this before using radio stations. For those of you who actually remember what a radio station is, but a radio station has a tower that broadcasts a signal. And it doesn't go to this house and this house and this house, kind of like cable does. Uh, it just, it's just out there. And if you have the ability to receive it, you can receive it. It's an indiscriminate signal. And it's the same idea here. Indiscriminately, the seed is tossed and it lands in different places. And what happens is dependent upon the condition of the place where it lands. This word wayside is a little bit misleading. It's a compound word. There are two words in it. The, the primary word in it is the word for road in the Greek or highway or way. And then it has a modifying word that means beside. So I've often thought of wayside as just you know, somewhere out there, you know, not really anywhere, but this is actually a place by the road. The road is a prepared place. Equipment has come through and work has been done to prepare this ground for something, for a purpose, for traveling, for busy people to go up and down to get where they're trying to get. And this seed has fallen there in the vicinity of the roadway. That road, you see it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. 
the broad way and the narrow way, same word. The same word is in Mark chapter 1 and verse 3 where Mark says that John came to prepare the way for the Lord. It's a road or a path for journeying, but the seed here in the parable has fallen alongside this roadway. So a lot of people traveling that way. And you can just imagine that in the course of your day. Tomorrow, when you get out on the road, you think about all the people that are in that way, going to and fro, but they're not looking for the Word of God. That's not what they're looking for. They're living life and they're doing their own thing. And, you know, you could put a big billboard up that said something about the Bible, but it's probably not going to resonate much with them because that ground, that way is prepared, but it's not prepared for that, that purpose. They've got something else on their mind. And so when people are focused elsewhere, just like the bird that comes and gets that seed off of the roadside, so Satan in his instrumentality works to get that seed away as quickly as possible before it can do anything. It's landed in an unexpected place. And that ground, now that's not to say seed couldn't grow by the roadside, it could with a little work, a little preparation, and help to help that area be receptive to the seed. Right now it's not. But it could be. It could be worked a little bit and things could grow quite well. You know, when they build all of these roads and they've expanded all of these highways out here, everywhere around the part that they are concreting and paving looks horrible at first. And then when they've done, they're have done, they done with their road, what do they do with the wayside? They come back through and they prep it and they plant seed there and grass grows. It probably wouldn't have done very well without that extra preparing of that ground that wasn't prepared for a purpose. And what I'm suggesting to us tonight is when we see wayside soil, don't just say, oh, that's wayside soil. And it's not expected that it would be receptive to seed. Sometimes we can work the wayside soil and we can prepare it. And you might be thinking in your mind, well, what, what does that look like in real life? I think there are some biblical examples that show us how some wayside soil was worked in order for it to be receptive to the seed. I think of a time when some men of God were in a prison in Philippi and they were singing in that prison and they were under the care of a guard who had put them in the inner prison. That doesn't sound like a person who is very favorable toward those men. And you know that Bible narrative and account how those prison doors were opened and those men in that prison were set free. And do you remember what that jailer was about to do? For fear of the consequences of allowing these individuals to escape, he was going to take his own life. 
And he was told, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And in the course of the things that unfolded that night with that man who had a wayside heart, he washed their stripes and he obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wayside soil was worked on that occasion. Here was a man who didn't understand. He didn't really have an interest in understanding as it appears. But the circumstances changed in his life and it, the condition of his heart was changed. At least it seems that way. And I don't think that's a stretch because you and I don't have to look very hard in our own lives and in our own sphere of influence to see the same things happen. Where people have been adamantly opposed to anything religious, anything Bible, and yet the circumstances of their life can unfold in a certain way to the, where that wayside soil changes. And their heart is different. And they're ready, they're trying to understand what has happened in their life and how to deal with the things that have unfolded often tragically in their life. They want to understand. And that, that's ground ripe and ready for the seed, which is the Word of God. But if you and I write people off and just say, well, they're wayside soul, they're not interested, we might miss an opportunity to work the wayside soil. You know, I, everything's an illustration, right, for a preacher. But I think... It's not just birds in general that work the highways. I mean, how, many, how often have you seen a buzzard getting a feast in the wayside along the side of the road or the highway? A buzzard can find a feast in the wayside. And surely you and I with a little bit of work can find a few souls there as well. Number two. Sometimes we need to soften the stony ground. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and then immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. And then the interpretation of that in verses 20 and 21 but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet there's no root. You see, it endures only for a little while, but in time of tribulation or persecution, when that arises, look, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. This is the stony ground. I think it's important for us to understand what the language here is, is depicting. Caleb alluded to this this morning. Let's think about it a little bit more. So there, there are some areas where the surface, you could put your hand down and you could rub in it and you can dig and make finger trenches in the dirt there with your hands. But if you get any deeper than a couple of inches, as hard as a rock. 
That's like where I grew up in East Texas with red clay. If you could, you could want, if you wanted to plant something, you could dig probably two or three inches, maybe if you're lucky a little bit deeper than that. But in a minute, you're going to hit hard red clay and you're not going any deeper with a shovel in that. You're going to need something else in order to get that done. And so there's some surface soil. But underneath that surface soil is a hard rock stone. And so if you plant something on it and you water it, you can... Well, if, if you plant something on it and you water it, you know what happens? It pops up. But then when the heat comes out and it doesn't have any root, you know what happens? It scorches it and it, and it dies. And that's the idea, and that's the picture here. And so if we're translating that to heart condition, what we have is a heart that has surface but no depth. And a lot of times you'll see that in conversion. You might... this. Could very well be a person who's interested in the gospel and they come to know it. But their godliness is just surface. It's just on the surface. And if there, if anything happens in their life that's going to require more depth than just surface, they're not going to be able to handle it. You know, surface, surface godliness won't really give you a picture of what the heart really looks like. But that's not reality. There is no scenario in this life where a surface godliness will get somebody to heaven. That's just not realistic because things are going to happen that test the strength of what has been grown by that seed. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so those difficulties and hardships are going to come our way. <clears throat> Being a godly person is going to require exertion. It's going to require people exerting themselves. And sometimes people come real energetic and excited, but they don't understand that being a Christian doesn't absolve them of difficulty and hardship in life. And so when things get tough, when things get difficult in their life, they fall away because they have no depth. The Bible is full of examples like that. I think of Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5, the, the Israelite people. Soon as they got out into the desert and they got concerned about food and water, they started complaining and saying, you brought us out here to die in this wilderness. We should have just stayed in Egypt and died. So just surface. It looks good. It looks like they're doing well, but it's just surface. And any kind of challenge is going to demonstrate that there's no depth to it. I wonder what that would look like in the Bible. In Luke chapter 22, verse 57, we see the culmination of a process of testing. There's a young disciple following Jesus when he's been arrested. 
to see what's going to happen. And he's, he's committed to follow along to see. But when people start questioning his identity, aren't you one of his disciples? Weren't you with him? I don't know him. Sure, you're one of his disciples. Luke 22 verse 57 says that Peter said, Woman, I do not know him. That, that's a demonstration of the shallowness of the heart. Even for Peter, he looked great. You know, he, he spoke often too quickly, should have thought a little bit more about what he was going to say or do, but, but he, he's serious about this. And yet, can't you see that just surface is not enough? When Peter was tested, when there were challenges to the depth of his roots, he didn't fare too well. And Caleb talked a lot about that with us and challenging us to think about ourselves this morning in his sermon, and rightly so. But what I want us to think about is this. When we teach people the gospel and they're just, they just bloom. Don't be tricked by that into thinking that they have it all under control. Because it might be, and very likely is, they don't have a lot of depth yet. And when the hard things happen in their life after them becoming a Christian, they might be vulnerable to being scorched and burned and falling away spiritually. Sometimes, instead of looking at them and think, well, they're doing fine, they're doing great. We need to think a little bit longer about it and ask, but do they have the root that they need to survive an ordeal? And if they don't, sometimes we need to soften the stony ground. Number three, sometimes we need to trim back the thorns. That's verse 7. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Verse 22 gives us the interpretation of that. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. You see, in this situation, the presence of the thread is not evident at sowing time. You know, you might get a person in a gospel meeting, you might get them here visiting services, and they're so moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ that they obey it. But they might be very worldly people. Or it could be a Christian who becomes worldly. And there are thorns growing up around them. And the problem with thorns is they compete for the same space as the good ground. They grow right there together, but they compete for the same nourishment, nutrients, water as the seed. They don't, thorns don't bring their own water. 
They don't bring their own nutrients. They compete for the same thing. And so sometimes we get Christians who are allowing thorns to grow up in their hearts with the Word of God, and there's a competition going on. You, you might not really see it at first, but it's happening. There's a battle taking place. And the cares of this world choke out the truth before too long. You think about the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, a young man that was challenged by Jesus. Jesus could see the thorns in his life. And the man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions, the Bible says. I think of the sad passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10 where Paul said of his comrade Demas that he's forsaken me having loved this present world. Thorns have grown up in and among the seed. I think about Ananias and Sapphira. Peter asked Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? All of these represent situations where thorns were allowed to grow up around the, the produce of the seed, the word of God, and allowed to choke it out. And you and I might look at that and say, well, it's just destined to be that way. Some people are going to love the world more than they love God. And this is not just people who are 24 hours old spiritually. This could be people who are 24 years old spiritually. And yet the thorns have come up in their life and have choked out the word of God. And you and I could look at it and say, well, you know, people just fall away. But is that really what we need to do? I submit to us, sometimes we need to help trim back the thorns. And that can require rolling up your sleeves, getting some scratches, and getting dirty. What can we do? We need to teach and model the strength that is possible even in thorns. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, we're to seek first the kingdom of God. And maybe we need to tell people, you're not seeking first the kingdom of God. I hope that's what we would want. I think that's what I would want. We need to model it. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You and I need to know that thorns are real. And they are going to pop up. They do every year in our yards. And we have to do something about it or they'll take over our yards. And they pop up all the time in the hearts of Christians too. <clears throat> because we let them in <clears throat> through our interest in our care for and our love for the things of this world. And they'll choke out the word. And we, as we faithful Christians, you who are spiritual, who are tasked by God to restore those who are suffering in this way, 
we can just let it happen or maybe we can apply this principle to our evangelism and our edification. Sometimes we need to trim back the thorns. Help people get the thorns out of their life. The last one is relative to the good heart, the good ground. But there's some lessons here for us too. Look at verse 8. Others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now jump down to verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. That's good ground. That's good soil. That's a good heart. And it's productive. But what you and I need to know is we must always keep grooming the good ground because good ground today is not guaranteed to remain that way. I could count a whole host of preachers that I know who sowed the seed, produced in this fashion, but they're not producing anything but unrighteousness today. And we all know Christians like that. They were good soil. What happened? Well, good soil today is not guaranteed to remain that way. The good ground produces some fruit, 100, 60, 30 times its own value or worth. That, this would be a good adjunct to Caleb's lesson this morning as we think about ourselves. Notice the good ground, what it did. It produced some 100, some 60, some 30 times its own value or worth. Now that hits, I don't know about you, but that hits me square between the eyes tonight. More than my worth? And is that my production level? Because that's what the good ground does. As I apply this to people that I'm trying to help and you're trying to help, what can we take away from this? It seems to indicate that we shouldn't let up on people until production is stable. You know, when do we, we usually let up on people about the time the water stops dripping off of them. That's when we let up because we worked really hard to get them into the water and baptize them and now they've done it and we go, whew, the work's over. But it's not because it's not good ground unless it's producing more than its own value. That's what Jesus said. So my challenge to us is don't let up on new converts until we can see production. And that's going to be a huge problem if we haven't even stabilized our own production. And so we can't be a hypocrite about this. We need to produce more than our value and worth. And then when we help people, we need to help them get to that point as well. There, there are some things we can do, brothers and sisters, as we think about evangelism and edification. 
to make a difference with some of these soils that might not be conditioned to be good fruit, good soil. We can work the wayside soil. We can soften the stony ground. We can trim back the thorns, but we can also groom the good ground and make sure that it keeps producing. But it's the height of ingratitude to accept the seed ourselves and not spread it and make sure to the best of our ability that it's being fruitful in the lives of other people. It's unfortunate when we see less than ideal soils as a waste of time. Caleb emphasized this morning the power that is in the seed. Sometimes the greatest threat to the seed is people who deem it powerless in the soil they have prejudged to be unsuitable. Perhaps a more common but equally dangerous threat is we, when we assess the work that is going, it's going to take to help the heart receive the word and that we conclude we just don't have that kind of time. May God help us to see the need to not just let the seed go and do what it will, but to do like Jesus, to do like the apostles, to do like the early evangelist, and stay attendant to the seed's work in those various soils and do what we can to help them be more receptive to what God has planted in their hearts. May God help us to do that. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you need to receive the seed. Don't let it go by the wayside. Obey the gospel tonight. If you're not sure what all that entails, then speak up, say something, and let us study with you to help you see the need to hear the gospel and to believe it, to repent of your sins, to confess your faith in Christ, and to be baptized in water, to have your sins washed away. Maybe you're Christian tonight, and maybe... Maybe we are not producing like good soil. I hope I've challenged us in some way, myself included, to do better at that. Tonight, if there's any way we can help you publicly as we sing this song, we hope you'll come and let it be known as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.